welcome back to the Project Nourish podcast. We are your host. I'm Megan Gump, a certified functional medicine practitioner, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, a licensed restart instructor, and a proud new sourdough starter mom. That is so exciting. I've been <laughs> loving hearing about all of your sourdough adventures, and Stuart is just so happy to have a long-distance brother. I know. I'm so excited. It was definitely a labor of love, and we did the gluten-free sourdough starter, so we used organic brown rice flour, and man, we had to feed that thing every four to eight hours for seven days. That's intense. I got up at like in the middle of the night to feed that thing. <laughs> Like, I really do love you. <laughs> I was like, not right now at 2.30 in the morning, but yeah, right. <laughs> let's, let's hope I can go <laughs> back to be, sleep. It'll be worth it. But then when you had that first buttery biscuit, you're like, oh yeah, it was Dude, worth it. It was totally worth it. I'm so excited. So on that note, well, not really on that <laughs> note, I'm Casey Poe Campbell, also a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and licensed esthetician dabbling in some photography although it's been mainly just taking photos of inanimate, inanimate, is that how you say it? Objects, non-living things, I guess you would say since we're on quarantine. But uh, we're here to bring you a podcast all about health, wellness, holistic nutrition, functional medicine, and non-toxic living. If you have any health or skincare concerns, or if you're wanting to get ready for a photo shoot, you can work one-on-one -on -one with either one of us. You can find me, Casey, over on my website, caseypoe.com. I have a consultation form over there that you can fill out in preparation of your photo shoot. And I will help you get all nice and glowy and prepared for that shoot. And you can follow me on Instagram at Elegant Adventure Photo. And you guys can find me, Megan Gump, over on my website, megangump.com. Last name is spelled just like Forrest. And on my website, there is a free 15-minute consultation that you can book to learn more about working one-on-one -on -one with me. So as a functional medicine practitioner, I do run comprehensive lab testing through stool test and urine test and saliva test. And we get some answers as to what is at the root cause of your health concerns. So, you know, if you're having GI issues or chronic fatigue or skin concerns, which we're going to talk a lot about in today's episode, which is going to be really exciting. But, you know, the labs that we do talk about in this episode, I do run. So if you guys need more specific help, please reach out to learn how the consultation process works and my pricing. I'd love to work with you and uh, give you some good care to get you feeling better. And then you can also go over to my Instagram uh, at megan.gump just to kind of see what I've been up to there. I feel like I've been posting more on my stories lately and not on my Instagram page or board, I guess you call it. And uh, I really need to start posting more pictures because I put all my energy into my stories and then my stories are gone 24 hours. But when I look at my page, I'm like, oh, that's weak sauce. I've been <laughs> posting so much cool stuff. <laughs> well, you could always save them in highlights. I know, you know, like true. have a chicken highlight or a farm oh, you're so highlight smart. and then yeah. people can go back and watch those. I need to do that. I've been, we've been posting a lot about um, our three baby ducks and the pond we just built in the backyard for them. So those baby ducks are huge. They're, like, it's amazing how quick they grew. 
It's they're insane. Like, they're over teenagers now. They're like 20 year olds. Oh yeah. They they're like, yeah. almost out of the house. I mean, they're about to be on their own drinking alcohol, like getting into all kinds of trouble that I don't want to hear about living on their own, you know, coming back when they need money. And yep. It's like, it's crazy. How did this already happen? Yep. Start, start drawing lines on your Tito's bottle. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, but apparently, so from the time that they hatch up into they're ready to be on their own in six weeks, it's pretty incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really fast. I mean, we got six baby chickens and we got three baby ducks all at the same time. And they were about the same age, you know, they were not very old, maybe a week or so. And, um, the little baby chicks are still tiny. I mean, they're in the little original, you know, pen that we built for them. And the ducks are like out on their own. They're in their duck house that we built. They are running around the backyard. I mean, it's, they're independent women at this point. Wow. It's incredible. That is so crazy. Yeah. So All that to say, go watch Megan's Instagram stories. Cause they're really, cool. yeah. And I will start highlighting them. It's a great idea. So also but, a great idea is that as a disclaimer, topics discussed and recommendations given in this podcast are not to treat or cure any disease. We as FNTPs want to discover and address your underlying health symptoms using nutritional therapy and functional medicine. Yeah. Yeah, guys. And Casey and I are so excited about our guest today. I mean, this was an episode that I um, was extremely excited about, especially as we were recording and all of the things that Casey and I we're learning, especially just being the, you know, I think comprehensive lab tests that I run, it was really neat to hear how a lot of the markers that I commonly see in people are related to skin issues like eczema or uh, psoriasis or other things. So it was, it was really quite interesting. So today we spoke to Jennifer Fugo, MSCNS. Uh, she is a clinical nutritionist empowering women who have been failed by conventional medicine to beat chronic skin and unending gut challenges. Because she's overcome a long history of gut issues and eczema, Jennifer has empathy and insight to help her clients discover missing pieces and create doable integrative plans. She has a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a certified nutrition specialist. Her work has been featured on Dr. Oz, Reuters, Yahoo, CNN, and many podcasts and summits. Jennifer is an Amazon bestselling author and the host of the Skin Healthy Skin Show. I've listened to her podcast a couple of times before we even had this interview scheduled, and my mind has been blown so many times by Jennifer. She is just an absolute wealth of knowledge, knows her stuff, and you guys should really, really enjoy this episode. Jennifer, welcome to the show. We are so, so excited to chat with you today, all things gut and skin related. But first question, what are you doing to nourish yourself right now? Well, I will say this, a lot of extra sleep because that is important. Um, definitely doing check-ins with my husband around just how I'm doing mentally, emotionally, and energetically because- it's just been crazy. Um, and making sure at least at the moment to have breakfast every day. Sometimes I was like skipping it. I was doing intermittent fasting and I wasn't as focused on breakfast. And I just find right now it's a really great way to start my day and just be like, okay, there's this, this process, this habit happening. Um, and having that ground us, at least me through this process has been really helpful. This crazy time. What mm -hmm. are some of your go-to breakfast foods or meals? 
Usually I do a protein shake, um, okay. but more recently I've been really into making this whole like um, oatmeal, like gluten-free oatmeal thing. And I add like shredded coconut and inulin mm. fiber just to, I've been trying to add more um, prebiotic fibers to my diet. Um, and then I add some like, pe- like some organic peanut butter, almond butter, whatever I have with some fresh berries and stuff. And then I'll do like a couple of s- sausages or something, breakfast sausages with it. Um, so one of those two. Nice. Sounds delicious. That sounds, yeah. Really good. Yeah. I want that oatmeal tomorrow. <laughs> I know it's it's amazing like how the oatmeal like you can really doctor it up to be good you can I really one of our past guests she was like yeah I've been nourishing myself with oatmeal and I was like dude that's a boring answer but then she explained it I was like okay I stand corrected oh yeah you can put a lot of stuff in I add oh so I also add like a tablespoon of collagen powder another tablespoon of chia seeds and then I'll usually add like a little bit of maple syrup because I like I need like a little bit of sweetness and then some pumpkin pie spice and like I and then one time I did mm. bananas with it so it's kind of like this banana bread like you can really <laughs> play with it a lot so mm-hmm. I find it to be fun um, and I only use a quarter cup of oats so it's not all oats it's got a lot of other good fats and fibers in it to help balance everything and it just it like kind of sticks with you especially on cold mornings which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were in, you said Pennsylvania. Yes. I'm right outside of Philadelphia. Okay. How is, is it starting to warm up? Are you guys still experiencing winter full on? Um, no, actually I do a lot of gardening and so I have lettuce growing two different, I have romaine and oak leaf lettuce. I'm I'm, I'm waiting on some of my other plants that I'm started from seed to start coming up, but, um, I've started getting some turnips and radishes are, I've got little, little, uh, little green leaves popping out of the ground, um, waiting for some beans and peas and my hoping for arugula to start coming in soon. I've, I've got some sprouts, but like nothing that I can, I can eat yet. So. I really enjoy that. Yeah. We have, um, all of our trees have started to bloom. We're like kind of on the, in the next couple of weeks, once we hit May, usually everything gets really pretty and light green, but it's been, it's been reasonably nice going from like the upper fifties to maybe like the low seventies, it oscillates back and forth. So it's nice to get outside right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Megan, what's all coming up in your garden? Um, Wow. Like well, everything. <laughs> we have, yeah, a bunch of lettuce. Um, Alex has been building an aquaponic system. So Ooh. we've got all kinds of stuff going in there. Lettuces and um, we've got corn and we've got cucumbers and squash and just tomatoes, all that kind of fun stuff. Lots of herbs. So it's popping <laughs> down here in Houston. <laughs> Yeah, you're a lot warmer. It's very, it's very nice here as I realized like the, um, I have this really great uh, raised garden bed mm-hmm. that I built last year and, and a neighbor helps me kind of understand how to do that and like rotate and all sorts of things. And um, so we planted a lot of herbs over the past few years outside that are perennials that come back yep. every single year, which is awesome. And then um, moving all of the plants like so the tomatoes were on one side last year now they're going to be on the other side this year um uh, the swiss chard actually came back from last year because we had a pretty mild winter so it's really cool and then we actually have fruit trees we have an apple two pear um a mulberry tree 
and then a fig tree and an apricot tree. So it's really fun to like have this mixture of vegetables and fresh fruit and everything. Um, And I'm trying to also learn, I got an app on my phone. I'm trying to learn about the different plants in my backyard. Mm -hmm. And I actually discovered lemon balm, which I didn't know was there and um, wormwood (laughs) and some other different things. So it's just really cool to see like what is available and um, not that I'm into like foraging, but I'm always kind of curious because I think we take for granted the type of plants that are like in our lawn or under a tree and we're like, oh, those are weeds. When in reality, like there can be some really amazing nutrient rich foods that we can find literally in your backyard that you mm-hmm. never, you totally took for granted. So it's just like, yeah. it's just my curiosity always. Oh, that's that. so fun. Mm-hmm. You're, you're speaking to my heart spring, strings, Jennifer, because since we've been on quarantine, I started digging into a deep rabbit hole of like permaculture and like um, natural gardening. And it's all about that, like having just a mix of like, you know, your trees and your shrubs and your perennials and basically everything that you're growing, you can eat, like it's beneficial Mm -hmm. or it's like got medicinal purposes or something. So yeah, we've totally redone what we're doing out there. Um, It's pretty amazing. What is the app? Do you know the name of the app that you use? Oh, I don't know. I'll have to look really quick. Okay. Um, but it was really helpful. I actually just took a picture. Oh, it's called Plant Net. Plant Net. Okay, cool. All one word. And I, you just take a picture of the plant and then it searches the database based on the leaves or the look of the flower and it can find it for you, which is really cool. Oh, that's so there are t- that's And amazing. there are times when it will say like weed, but I've had to double check. I'll like go look on different other websites to see because sometimes those things are actually edible or they're used medicinally. Mm-hmm. So it's not always a hundred percent like, but at least you know what it is. Like that's a good starting point of like stuff that I was like ripping out the last few years out of frustration. And now I'm like, Oh, I need this. That's actually okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And it's great that you yeah. have your friend who's been helping you with all the little tips and tricks and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. And I always tell people when they were like, I want to get started gardening. I don't know how I'm like, find some elderly person, like an old Italian or somebody like off the boat from wherever, whatever country they came from, who has a garden, like walk around your neighborhood. See people who garden love to usually share that knowledge. And you can learn so much from those people. Um, especially I've, I've learned so much from elderly folks that my family knows or were my dad's patients or whomever, and they love to share. So those are all like easy resources and they don't mind you coming to their house and they'll show you how to plant stuff and do all sorts. So it's learning from someone is always, I think the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've got plenty of time to do something like that right now. Mm -hmm. So learn a new hobby, get your green thumb on, right? Start growing your own food. It's an amazing opportunity to do that right now. It is. So, well, that's a wonderful way to be spending your time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I agree. It definitely, I go outside and I'm like, I don't want to go back in. Yeah, I, don't, I just want to stay outside, but it's like I get mm-hmm. to be out in the sunshine, get put mm-hmm. put my hands in the dirt, and I feel like such a sense of, I don't know, I don't know if accomplishment's the right word, but I feel so proud, like a mom looking down at my little plants, and I'm like, oh my god, I grew that. Yeah, especially <laughs> when you start eating that stuff, and you're like, yeah. I don't have to go to the grocery store, like I just made I this salad with what's in my backyard. Yep. So yeah, I'm right there with you. It's funny because right now during quarantine, it's like, oh, use this time to, you know, do your side hustle, grow your business, all of these things, and I'm like, 
I do not want to be inside. Like I want to spend every second in my backyard doing whatever I've got going on out there. <laughs> yep. Just so enjoying, enjoying as much yeah, as you can. Exactly. Getting out in the sun. So, well, that's awesome. Well, okay. We are super excited to talk about, you know, skin stuff and the gut. So first, I think we just wanted to ask you a little bit more about your personal story. Cause I know that this interest and passion for skin symptoms and concerns really comes from a place of the heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us just a little bit more about your story and where you started? Yeah, I actually, began the whole skin journey back in like 2014. I was in grad school going for my master's degree. And it's funny because it's like, we're, we're studying nutrition. We're studying the human body. We're studying all these different things. And, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to be this clinical nutritionist. I'm going to be so healthy. And here I am, like my health is falling apart, right? This is like one of the many versions of this story that all of us have. And in the midst of like, having what I would describe as blood sugar issues, serious fatigue. I mean, I was very overstressed. I developed these weird, this really weird rash on one of my hands. Um, It looked initially like there were these like roundish kind of clear beads under the skin. And I, I don't even know why I noticed it one day. It wasn't initially itchy. And then with time, as the summer kind of rolled on, and I live in an area, if anybody understands, like the Atlantic Mid, um, Mid-Atlantic area of the United States, it gets very soupy and sweaty in the summertime. So as it got increasingly humid, then that area began to itch. It would get really red. And then eventually those little bubbles would kind of burst. And I was freaked out because I was like, what the heck is this? I had no idea. And after that would happen and I had this like kind of flare, it would go away. Then it would come back. And it was this vicious cycle that I couldn't get out of. So I asked my dad, who was a doctor, I was like, do you have any suggestions of what I should do? And he's like, it looks like some sort of eczema. Here's some steroid cream. Use it sparingly and as little as possible. And so I I did and it worked, but then it would come back. And so I was always of the mindset, let me try and figure out what's driving this. And I went to the doctors and the dermatologist like did not care that I, you know, I was like, I was gluten-free and dairy-free and I've been egg-free for six years or whatever. They, she didn't care. She like totally didn't care. She's like, oh, that's nice. And, and then I uh, asked what it was. She said it was dyshidratic eczema, which um, predominantly impacts the the palms of the hands, like the webbing of the fingers up the fingers, it can impact your nails. And it can also do this, the same thing on the feet. It's pretty specific to hands and feet. It just impacted my hands. And so um, she just gave me more steroid creams and then told me to put Vaseline over top to help keep the moisture in, which I was like, no, like it's impractical. Number one. I mean, can you imagine I have four cats? you touch your hands on everything. Like how are you supposed to put Vaseline on your hands all day? And then on top of it, I just, I was not comfortable putting, I understand that it's a petroleum product and it's used. I get that. I understand, but I just was not really comfortable with that idea. And I wanted solutions, which clearly that was not, she was not the right person to go to for that because I come to learn since then that the way that um, dermatology, their standard of care is really to provide steroid creams. And then if it's uncontrollable, then they offer biologics. 
um, that's kind of like the progression. Maybe you get some light therapy, maybe, um, but they don't really quiz you too much about your diet or anything. Sometimes they'll look for allergies. They'll, you know, send you to an allergist for a prick test or what have you, but that's not, so not very common. Um, and food allergies, sometimes they'll, they might suggest like take out eggs or take out dairy, but that's about it. And that doesn't help a lot of people, unfortunately. And so I got really fed up because the problem was that it not only started on one finger and then spread, it began impacting my nails. And it got to the point where I couldn't go to the gym. So I could not work out because I couldn't touch any of the gym equipment. Anytime I would grab something or bend, I mean, think about it. Like if you look at your hand and you bend your fingers, you can see all of those folds. Well, imagine that those are all, your whole skin is so delicate on your hand that every time you squeeze or bend those fingers or those joints, it all cracks open. And now you don't want to wash your hands because water itself burns so awfully. So I couldn't wash my hair because I can tell you that no amount of putting on tight gloves will keep the water out of those gloves. I mean, my dad was a doctor. I had access to really good <laughs> medical gloves. Nope, nope, my hands would get wet. Um, I couldn't wash my hands. Um, I, I just like got to the point where I had trouble cooking. I couldn't touch anything like a, very acidic, like um, uh, uh, oranges or tomatoes, things of that nature. It just got to the point where my life was really unpleasant. I'd wake up in the middle of the night scratching my hands. I didn't even know it. So it was like itching, burning. Um, it just red. I mean, people didn't even want to shake my hands because they looked diseased. And I just was so tired of this. And so I started digging deeper and um, I realized that the way that we approach these chronic type skin issues is not really entirely accurate. I tried a lot of like alternative stuff and suggestions I saw online and nothing really helped. It was like helping to manage, but not to correct. And that was really where my journey began. Um, I just will say this, like I did eventually figure out how to get my skin to rebuild correctly, but in looking at pictures of other people and realizing that I wanted to share what I had found with everyone else, that then sort of was the inspiration or that jumping off moment where I was like, I need to actually shout this from the rooftops and let people know that they're not alone. You're not crazy. You're not without other options available to you. And there's so many other things to explore. And so that was really how I started Skin Interrupt and then the Healthy Skin Show. Mm. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate that the standard of care is typically like, here's your prescription medication. Keep doing everything you're doing. Do I need to change my diet or worry about anything else? Nope. Nope. Just keep doing what you're doing and just keep putting on your steroid cream and you know, it should go away. That's pretty typical, which is super sad. Um, now what about like hidden root causes? So we know that there is a huge gut skin connection. And the thing that I like to tell my clients is typically when your gut's unhappy, that's why your skin's unhappy. So if you've got unhappy skin, you got unhappy gut. So it's kind of looking deeper to figure out you know, what kind of underlying gut issues could be going on. Um, but what are some other underlying root cause, um, factors that you have seen that are correlated with chronic skin rashes? Yeah. So there's actually 16, um, and so gut, there's like two different pieces of the gut, um, 
that are involved. The first that I think is very significant that impacts both the gut and the skin is microbiome issues. Because obviously if you've got internal issues, you, it's highly likely that if you've got skin issues, you've probably got internal, you've got gut issues. So skin and gut microbiome dysbiosis often goes hand in hand. Um, how, so there's that. So dysbiosis. Then you've got gut dysfunction where either you don't have enough stomach acid, you don't have a gallbladder, so you're not absorbing fat-soluble nutrients, um, you have diarrhea, you have constipation, whatever, anything going on with that, that is also important, but separate from that microbiome piece. We certainly can have diet and food reactions, and I don't want to minimize that, but I think we put too much onus on that, and we fixate too much on this idea that elimination diets are actually going to fix the problem. So yes, it's a root cause, there can be root causes around that, but I think that we shouldn't fixate just on that because obviously there's 16, so there can be other problems. So we have to look at nutritional deficiencies, liver detox challenges. And when I say that, I specifically mean phase two of liver detoxification, um, past traumas, or even current traumas. I mean, skin issues can be incredibly traumatic in and of themselves, uh, along with unmanaged stress. There can be a genetic component to this, which involves filigrin and other genes involved in autoimmune skin conditions, thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalances, autoimmunity, autoinflammation, drug reactions, mitochondrial dysfunction, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and environmental allergies like pollen, chemicals, cat and dog dander, that kind of thing. So those are really the big things that I look for. Um, and that's why I think a lot of times when people get stuck on like, it's just food, it's just food. I'm like, it's not just food. Like there's so many other facets to this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people have to keep in mind too, that some of their food sensitivities or allergies are because of their dysfunctional gut, mm -hmm. right? Like you mentioned low stomach acid or maybe a dysbiosis, you know, issue where there's bacteria that's overgrown that shouldn't be. So that can ultimately lead to a lot of people's problems too. Now, here's something I'm excited to learn about. What about like, what is leaky skin? Because I know that that's something that you talk about and mention. So we all hear about leaky gut, you know, leaky brain, but what is this leaky skin? <laughs> so leaky skin is similar in that your skin as well as your gut lining are both barriers. And so I think when we think of leaky gut, we're not realizing what we're actually talking about is a leaky barrier. And it's not uncommon to see the two of them occur together. And um, actually one woman that I interviewed, she's an acupuncturist. Her name is Dr. Olivia Friedman. She was the one who'd really pointed out to me that it's, it is very common to see when people especially have skin issues that you're also going to see irritation throughout the GI tract. And she actually in her practice will treat people as such. So with that said, if someone understands the concept of leaky gut, then it becomes easier to understand the concept of leaky skin in that the skin barrier, which is built of lipids, by the way, I think that's a very important distinction between the gut and the skin. The, the skin barrier um, is, or the microbiome itself is actually a lipidome. So the bacteria that live there feed off of lipids, which is different from the gut microbiome where they feed off of fermentable fibers. And so we see a breakdown in this lipid barrier. Number one, we see more inflammation occur in that area so that the skin cells are no longer, um, really happy, so to speak. And that inflammation can result from exterior 
irritation. So it can occur because of itching, like mechanical um, irritation. So that would be itching. It can occur because of microbiome dysbiosis. So like an overgrowth of staph aureus on the skin, for example, or it can occur internally. And that is the more troubling piece where we don't, at least from a conventional standpoint, know where to look because it can originate anywhere. And so, um, you know, that's where we have to really do a lot of work to figure out what's going on. Filagrin plays a piece in, uh, in this whole puzzle because filagrin sort of like the cement, you know, the mortar mix. I like to think of um, the, brick, uh, the brick wall uh, example in that we want mortar mix to be nice and tight, right? That helps seal all of the different nooks and crannies in between bricks when we think of like the gut microbiome. But the same goes for the skin. We need the skin microbiome or the skin cells to be stacked really nicely and tightly. And so the filagrin is what does that. It's a pro- It's both a gene and the protein that produces it. And so we can see sometimes people have SNPs in the filagrin protein it's not everybody though. However, internal inflammation can actually dysregulate the production of the protein. So it'll cause the gene to act wonky and we won't see a correct production of flagrin. So it, there's, there's a lot of different pieces to this, but essentially you've got to look in different places to identify what the heck's going on. And when I, in, when I had eczema, and I, I mean, I still technically do. I think it's something I'm probably just going to have to be more cognizant of for the rest of my life. Um, the one piece was, like I said, water would burn. Everything I touched caused problems. I was very reactive to things that like now I have no problem touching. And so when I learned about that phrase, I actually learned about it, randomly stumbled across it um, on uh, paleo, the Paleo Mom blog. That's where I first heard the phrase. I was like, that makes complete and total sense. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned like a specific bacteria that typically causes some skin issues, or I guess that you see correlated oh, with it. Yeah, Staph aureus. Um, with eczema, one of the hallmarks of it is we see this overgrowth of something called Staphylococcus aureus. And so you, we most, most of us know it if you were to say MRSA. So that is a, that's just an antibiotic-resistant antibiotic version of Staph. But staph aureus tends to overgrow in people with eczema. That's sort of what one of the hallmarks of it. Mm-hmm. Though I have worked with clients who also have staph infections of their skin. Um, so it is not uncommon to see that show up in other skin conditions. It's just one of the hallmarks. But you can have an overgrowth of all sorts of things. You can have fungal organisms. You can have all sorts of things overgrow at the, at the level of the skin. Even mites, because like mites are supposed to live on our skin, but like demodex mites are one thing that, um, for example, that can be a root cause for rosacea in some instances. Uh, and believe it or not, on the face, you can actually have an overgrowth of demodex mites. Um, so it just depends on what the heck is going on that's causing a lot of these, these issues to um, go off kilter. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think a lot of people, especially in the functional medicine industry, they talk about candida. I think that's a, a big one for a lot of people. And that was something that I think you also personally struggle with. I know I've had my fair share of candida bouts that I've had to deal with. Um, not a fun fungus or yeast. <laughs> um, so what are some other ones that are typically, I guess, common? Like I think candida is a pretty common one that causes skin issues. And then you also mentioned like the staph. So are there any other ones that people, especially like when we do comprehensive testing, so like urine testing, stool testing, and we're looking for candida albicans or SPP or whatever it might be, 
Um, we're also looking for staff and strep and all these other things. Like, what are some other markers that people can specifically kind of be on the lookout for? Like, okay, this could definitely be a, a reason why my, my skin issues are a concern because these, you know, markers are really high. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say um, elevations in E. coli, like even the regular commensal E. coli can cause problems. Um, I mean, any of the pathogens that show up, if you do a stool test, pathogens that show up, parasites, those can all cause issues. Um, there are all different forms of yeast, not just candida albicans. Like uh, there's one that's like geotrichum and yeah. um, some other funky <laughs> names. Um, those can all cause issues. One interesting thing with candida, you can have candida albicon overgrowth on the skin, but the other issue for some skin conditions is that if your immune system becomes sensitized to candida within the GI tract, it can then go seek out other fungal organisms at the level of the skin. And the most common um, microbiome uh, fungal organism is called malassezia, and it lives in the sebaceous areas where we end up with dandruff. And so that that's a little, that is a tricky thing, but yeah, anything within the GI tract that shouldn't really be there or that's overgrown. I mean, like you, sh I generally, if I see Staph aureus show up or H. pylori, for example, um, any of these type of bugs that either they're in excess um, or they're they just really shouldn't be there. That can be one of the underlying root causes that is triggering a problem. And for whatever reason, that's just how the issue manifests in that person. I have one client now who has, he had like four different infections. Um, he had blasto and um, I think one other parasite, but he had traveled to a bunch of different countries and had been in Africa and Nicaragua and all sorts of things. And yet he had no GI symptoms whatsoever. It just all showed up on his skin. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely have had people with the same types of concerns, whether it's rosacea or severe acne or eczema or whatever's going on. And it's like, well, do you have any GI symptoms? No diarrhea, no bloating, no constipation, no nothing. And we run a stool test and it's like, well, I'm sure glad we did this because you've got a bunch of stuff going on in here. Yeah. So and I actually want to share too, if you see strep show up, strep is a big trigger for psoriasis. And a lot of people actually don't know that. So one thing I always ask is like, have you ever had strep throat? Have you ever had a strep infection? And usually you'll, you'll pretty much find not a hundred percent of the time, but a good number of the time people be like, oh yeah, when I was eight, I got strep throat like five times. And then six months later or whatever, then I had a bout of psoriasis and that's when it started. I actually literally talked to a woman yesterday who had uh, strep infections nine times when she was in the third grade and has proceeded to have them multiple times. So strep can definitely be an underlying trigger that then like people take medicine and they're like, oh, I'm better. But they're not really better. It's still hanging out under the system causing problems. Um, so, so strep is another one that a lot of people don't think about. Uh, you just totally blew my mind with that because I've had psoriasis. Oh gosh, it's probably been about 10, no, 12 years ago when I had my first kind of like, I guess, flare up, you would call sure. it, of psoriasis. And I always attribute it to, but now I'm remembering I had had strep throat, but at the time I had just been hired to be a flight attendant with Delta. So I was, you know, just like partying my butt off with, you know, like saying bye to all my friends in Colorado and everything. And then moved to New York or first went to Atlanta and I was there for six weeks for training and then moved to New York city. And I had psoriasis just like hovering mm. 
my Mm. legs and like all over my back. And I mean, it was just like mortifying, but never once have I heard the connection with strep. Mm -hmm. But before, so this was all in March and I'm trying to remember it may be, I mean, it's been so long ago, but I know I had strep that winter. Yeah, it's it's one so, thing that right now. I had and a few people <laughs> tell me about had the they're like, yeah, I think strep caused mine. And I started to research it and I actually have a whole podcast. And they're not my a lot of my my regular like solo podcasts are pretty short. They're like anywhere from like six minutes to maybe 15. And so I did a bunch of research on the, that connection and I was just like blown away. So people, okay, they, to listen to that one. yeah, they had, and I'm happy to share that too for the, sh- in your show notes, if maybe it's something people want to go yeah. check out. Yeah, please but do. It was a big eye opener to me and I found it to be pretty true across the board for most people who have psoriasis. Wow. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's just so cool. Cause I run the GI map by diagnostic solutions. Mm-hmm. And so I look at that pretty often and, you know, I correlate it with a lot of other things, and I know that that is actually what is at the root of skin concerns, but it's just fascinating to hear specifics with, you know, certain connections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I can share another little tidbit with you about psoriasis. Um, one really interesting thing is that um, there's been some research showing that, so when we eat food, so remember I was saying like there's gut dysfunction, and then there's microbiome problems, right? We're focusing on microbiome issues, but gut dysfunction is equally important. So if you don't have enough stomach acid, I'm sure your listeners know that can cause issues because we can't break down proteins. We can't pull nutrients off of. So in food, like B12, for example, is bound to proteins and other nutrients can be as well. And so we need that to break those bonds initially. And then the uh, digestive enzymes will come in and chop things into smaller little pieces. Well, if you don't break down, if you don't have enough stomach acid, it's like, I always tell people, I'm like, number one, we need to chew our food. You don't have teeth anywhere else. There's no backup system. In fact, there's no backup system for any part of our digestive system, which is, means that you have a break up top, everything else down below is going to be messed up. It's just what happens. And so if you are not able to break down your proteins, they head down into the gut microbiome. The bugs ferment those proteins in a process called putrefaction, which is as bad as it sounds, right? And those byproducts actually cross the gut barrier. And there's some really interesting research that they have found those putrefied product byproducts lodged in plaque psoriasis. So in the plaques. And they had assumed a long time ago, initially, they had just assumed that the plaques were making these by these putrefied protein byproducts never making the connection that they actually originate in the GI tract. So within an hour after eating, you see about 50% of the byproducts end up in the bloodstream. And it is also been found that um, bacterial DNA from the GI tract has been located in psoriatic blood specimens. So the question that that just goes to show you how important the relationship between looking at what is going on throughout the gut and what's happening on an inflammatory level within the body, um, you know, is there's such a huge tie between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why chewing your food 25 to 30 times per bite guys is what you need to be doing. I, Casey and I always sing that song. Um, That's awesome. So also too, what about you know, we talk about low stomach acid, we talk about, you know, gut dysfunction or microbes or dysbiosis. Um, 
and those things can all obviously trigger any kind of skin condition. But what is your take on food sensitivities triggering skin rashes specifically? So I think that it is possible that some rashes could be triggered. So for example, like I don't consider nightshades to be a sensitivity per se, because really that's a chemical reaction. You're, you're sensitive to the food chemicals that mm-hmm. naturally occur in things. It's sort of like, and even salicylate, they'll say, oh, well, I'm sensitive to salicylates. You don't have a salicylate uh, food sensitivity. You actually, that's a liver problem. It's an issue with detoxifying salicylates in your diet, and you are likely missing certain key nutrients like glycine B6 and molybdenum sometimes can help along with magnesium. Um, and so as far as like food sensitivities are concerned, I do think, I personally think it's important to take gluten out just simply because we do know from research that it has the capacity to increase gut leakiness, which we don't want, right? If we already have a gut problem, why do you want to open up the floodgates and let everything into the system? That's probably not a great idea. However, I don't, I think for most people, if you take gluten out and that's the thing that helps you, awesome. You probably Mm -hmm. want to look under the surface a little bit deeper though. You could have something else underlying that. It's possible you could have celiac disease. You could have something else going on that that is triggering a bigger, bigger issue, but food sensitivities don't just happen because they happen. Something had to cause the gut to become that gut lining to become leaky. Right. And food sensitivities don't do that. I know that people say, Oh, gluten, 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 gluten. Yeah. I just told you to take gluten now, but the reality is I work with plenty of people who've been gluten-free. They've already done that. They're still sick. I, and and I, I wish that it was just gluten. It was as simple as that for most people. But most people who are chronically ill have so many other problems. The, the food sensitivities are entering, the, the, the proteins are not being broken down appropriately. And because the gut is leaky, those uh, food proteins, proteins, those partially digested food proteins are able to sneak into the body and elicit an IgG response. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you have a legit allergy, IgE, right? That could result in anaphylaxis. Absolutely. That could be an issue, but I think we give too much power to food sensitivities because I stopped doing food sensitivity testing entirely. It has not hindered outcomes at all. I try to get people on as varied of a diet as humanly possible um, within reason. I mean, there's some some instances where I might say, oh, you know what? It sounds like we might have to avoid like high histamine foods for a little while. We just like, just for a period of time and then we'll get you back. You'll probably be able to eat them later on. But given all these other factors, that makes sense. Um, Mm-hmm. Or maybe we need to reduce some like high FODMAP foods because for whatever reason we suspect SIBO or something else that's going on and they're causing a lot. Fine. But generally speaking, I think we subscribe, or we, we ascribe too much power to like leaky gut and food sensitivities as root causes because neither are root causes. They're both things that happen as a result of something else. Mm-hmm. And if you address those actual root causes, most of the food sensitivities should resolve on their own. And I'm a perfect example of that. While I wish that I could go back to eating chicken eggs, I can't, but I can eat them in small quantities if it's like mixed in, say like a gluten-free cake or something like that. But I'm able to eat dairy again. I'm able to eat cashews. I'm able to eat a lot of different things. So I think if you just focus on food, you can end up developing food fear. 
um, you can end up with eating disorders, um, orthorexia, and incredible nutrient deficiencies. And I just, I've just found that for most people, they've already tried all that and they're just not seeing an improvement. So, and they, they're like, I would like to fix this mm-hmm. once and for all and get on with my life. Yeah. I love every word of that answer because that is exactly what I preach. And I think it's really important for people to hear that because I think a lot of people do focus on food allergies, food allergies, elimination, staying away from this stuff. Can you test me for my food sensitivities? And it's like, we got to go upstream here, people. You know, we got to look at dysfunction and anything else that's going on. What's causing the permeability or the leakiness? You know, what is really messing up that mucosal barrier and and start from there. And then if you truly have food sensitivities that you're still struggling with months down the road, okay, let's maybe do a test and just kind of put some things at ease to see if we are truly allergic to anything. But most of the time, it's just the bugs are improperly breaking things down, right? And that's why you've got those issues. So I'm really glad that you brought up that point. Yeah. And I will also share, like, I've worked with both eczema clients, seborrheic dermatitis or dandruff clients. Um, I've worked with plenty of psoriasis clients, all of them who've been on very restrictive diets, varying levels of different restrictive diets. And... um, like one woman who jumps out at me, she was, she was eating fairly, uh, like a, a very limited mix of foods and mostly plant-based. Even with that, she swore to me up and down that it was food that was causing the problem. Um, it turned out she had, a, she had a microbiome problem. She had gut dysfunction issues and her TSH, when she ran her thyroid panel, cause I was like, you need to get your thyroid checked given all her symptoms. Her TSH was over 33, which wow. is the highest. I mean, I what's, thought when uh, I had a client what's with normal for like, like one, kind of a, a optimal normal. is one to two. Oh, wow. Okay. Like five, if you're at five, that is, I think, on most standard labs considered hypothyroidism, right? So mm-hmm. optimal is one to two. 33 is like, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it was night and day when she got on medication and they were able to get the levels more normalized. Her mood improved, way less itching. She was like, I can eat so many more foods now. Like she just, it was... it's just different. Her whole life has changed. And then we were able to start working on everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and again, I've worked with people that swore to me up and down, they eat the most amazing diets and the, you know, really nervous about adding anything in. And it turned out that they had like parasites and other things hanging out underneath the system that was caught. That was what was causing it. So it's not, I think we go, well, I eat the food, and the food causes this problem because this happens right after I eat the food. So it must be the food. And I'm like, well, what if it's actually what happens to the food when it gets inside of you? And that's not something you can necessarily describe to me because it's, it's vague to us. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we just have to take a step back from blaming food so much. And re- if you're not seeing an improvement with an elimination diet within, I would say at most four weeks, that's, that's not that's not going to solve your problems. Yeah. Yeah. Food is like 80% of it most of the time, right? You've got to have a really good nutrient dense diet with variety and some good pre and probiotics. But other than that, you got to get rid of the bugs. You got to get rid of toxicity. You got to get rid of stressors. You got to start sleeping better. You know, all of these other things that play a huge role. Mm -hmm. So Huge, 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 huge. And I would say too, um, you know, thinking too about unresolved traumas. I mean, I'm not an expert in that arena at all, but I Mm -hmm. think a lot of times we don't, 
we dismiss the baggage that we carry around with us. And, you know, like I, for example, was teased as a kid. I was always an outsider and um, have a lot of very unpleasant memories from grade school and even high school and just, just definitely. And, and I will say that that shapes you. Mm-hmm. And it might not even, you're, someone's experience listening to this might not even be like my own. Maybe you were really popular in school and you had a lot of friends, but somebody said something to you that like devastated your sense of self-worth and whatever. And that has basically overwritten the programming that you have in your head about your own self-worth and self-worthiness. And now you just go through life believing these things as a result of a trauma. I mean, it's, there, are, there is research that exists that shows that trauma in our past, um, and it can be, as Dr. Keisha Ewers puts it, little T trauma or big T trauma, um, that can really shape how we react to things, how we see ourselves, how, you know, those are equally important. And until you're willing to also take a look at like the different scripts that you walk around with and incidents that happen to you and consider that as well as being a root cause, I think, again, just focusing on food, you're missing so much more of the puzzle. Yeah, it kind of seems like, you know, as practitioners and everything, we, it's kind of like the next crutch that we fall on. So I'm also an esthetician. And so, you know, at first when I went to aesthetic school, like, let's say we were looking at a skin condition, we would always look at it just topically. Mm -hmm. And we never once talked about food in aesthetic school. So then I became a nutritional therapy practitioner to, you know, like address things more from like the root cause. But, you know, like as you're talking, it's such an eye opener that it's kind of the next crutch that we're just falling on that it's like, okay, no, it has to be the food instead of like, I think you said it so eloquently when you were like, okay, well, what's happening to the food when you put it in there? Mm -hmm. And it's super, it's super simple. People are like, well, we are what we eat. I'm like, no, you are what you absorb. Ah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the truth. I I don't, I don't mean to like simplify, oversimplify it to the point where it's just, but the reality is that you could eat the most amazing diet. You could eat all organic. Everything's grown in your backyard, right? We could have this perfect, like colorful plate that's Instagram worthy or whatever. And you could be one of the most nutrient depleted individuals because of so many other factors under the surface that are going on. And Mm -hmm. I have worked and do work with people like that. That's Mm -hmm. why people ask me, do you give meal plans? I'm like, no, because most of my clients eat quote unquote perfectly. (laughs) A lot of them eat, they're eating very few grains. Not that I think people should eat very few grains, but in their mind, they're like, I'm eating very few grains or no grains. And I'm eating all these vegetables and I eat lots of colorful things and lots of cruciferous veggies and a little bit of meat and blah, blah, blah. And they're still so sick, so Mm -hmm. depleted. So the quality of food, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to walk away from this conversation feeling defeated because you put in all this energy and all this money. But like, if you cannot break down your food, if you cannot absorb it, you are making very expensive poop. Mm -hmm. And if you are stressed out, again, going back to past traumas, Mm -hmm. you know, that emotional component of things. And I, it's cool that you bring this up because we actually ask about the ACE questionnaire on our intake form, we have people fill out that adverse childhood experiences um, questionnaire. It's awesome. It just gives us information in terms of 
who we're even talking to before we even start the conversation, just in terms of where they're at with that kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's really, really important. So yes, going back to where you are when you sit down and eat a meal, but also I just think in general in life, that's going to deter or determine how much you're breaking down and how, how many nutrients you're getting and then what you're doing to nourish yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's, I love how you, how you spoke about that. And I almost want to ask you about like, you know, what, what are you guys doing to, to focus on some of the past trauma stuff, but then you can get into a whole rabbit hole with EFT and meditation and breathing and all of these things. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say one of the biggest things that I have people do is, is really breathing exercises because it's really accessible. It's free, right? It's free. Yeah. You can do it anywhere. You could, even if you're feeling really uncomfortable, run to the restroom. Well, not right now, run to the restroom. We're all at home. But if you're out- Leisurely walk. Or <laughs> <laughs> right. You could be like, I need to go to the restroom. And you could literally sit there and do 10 deep breaths or whatever you need to do. So I think that breathing exercises are incredibly helpful, um, especially- you know, just given my own past with anxiety and whatnot, I found breathing to be incredibly powerful. Um, movements can be incredibly powerful. Um, singing, dancing, um, but also to like knowing who to talk to because not everybody is the right person to like share your like inner insecurities with. So whether that means talking to a therapist or a counselor or a friend that can empathize, but doesn't necessarily, you know, you, we don't want to be an enabler, right, of someone else's issues or help them kind of stay stuck. We always want to hold space for people. But, you know, I always try to remind clients, I'm like, be cautious of who you share some of these issues with because like your mom might not be the best person. Your mom may not be able to see it or she feels judgment at what you're saying because somehow mom is feeling responsible even though it has nothing to do with her. So it can be worthwhile to consider finding either like a life coach, a therapist, whomever. And if you're really feeling very awful and it's not uncommon to have unfortunately suicidal thoughts when you are deep in the midst of rashes i wish it wasn't the case but it does happen to a lot of people you got to reach out and get help there are suicide crisis lines there's all sorts of people out there to help you um, and also know that living with skin rashes and just going through the process is incredibly traumatic in and of itself and that can cause a huge amount of trauma and people think once I get fixed I'll be fine and I'll go back to how I was and a lot of times you don't and you still have the anxiety and you're still left with that so just understand that you need to hold space for yourself you need to get support it's not just about what you eat or how you digest it it's also about how we interact with our world and how we feel safe in the world um, and making sure that you're supported is a critical part of your journey. Yeah, that's very, very, very important. Um, thank you for that. And so in light of some good tips or news um, that we can also get from you. So we want to talk to you more about like treatments or therapies that people sure. can try at home. And so you are one that recommends no coconut oil. So <laughs> please enlighten us. Okay. So number one, the reason I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti-coconut oil. Let me just put it that way. I don't think that it's bad for people. That's not what I'm saying. However, I do have concern with people overdoing the coconut oil. So taking it internally, right? So whether you're eating fat bombs or you're cooking everything in it or what have you, because that coconut oil can, when it interacts with a microbiome, can produce 
LPS. And LPS can cause, excessive LPS can cause endotoxemia, which is obviously to, a, a state of tox, toxin, toxicity within the, that's developed, that is produced by your gut. So that's not good. And that's very inflammatory. Um, as far as eczema is concerned, I have found that more people are very reactive to coconut oil and find it to be more irritating than anything else. It is, so for one, it's a very alkaline oil. Um, it's somewhere around eight on the pH scale. Our skin needs to be about 4.5 to five. And so that is number, that's a problem. Number two, it is so saturated that it's not well absorbed by your skin. So a lot of times it just sits on the top of the skin and doesn't really get absorbed. It's almost like having saran wrap over your skin. Um, and so that's not good. It's also very antimicrobial, which some people might say, well, wait, what if I have staph? What if I have candida? Isn't that a good thing? Well, it can be, but I don't think leaving that on your skin and creating a vacuum where then that, I mean, opportunistic bugs are opportunistic. They see an opportunity and that's one of the problems. Um, I've also found that people are seeing, at least from my, my clinical experience, developing almost like an allergic reaction to coconut oil applications. So they're using it on their face and noticing that the skin was like puffing up um, almost as if they were allergic. And, you know, the reality is we're putting coconut in everything. It's in all of the body care products. It's in all of our, we're using coconut flour, coconut butter, coconut oil on everything. At a certain point, it's not, it's not uncommon now to begin seeing more and more people who are allergic to coconut, unfortunately. So I think the better approach here is to vary what you are doing and, you know, to take a step back, some people with psoriasis have said that coconut oil is really helpful for their skin. I think it just depends. But I stand by, at least for eczema, eczema skin rashes, that coconut oil is not helpful. It's not the best option. Are there any, um, especially for people with eczema, because I know that's one thing that I especially struggle with, just trying to make people more comfortable. Um, are there any natural remedies that people can pull from like, you know, their kitchen counter or cabinets or um, maybe a, a holistic medicine cabinet, right? Anything that you've seen that people can do to like find relief? As far as like, well, it depends on the symptom. What are we talking? Like itching, burning, dry skin. I mean, it's all different, right? Because that's it. Yeah. That is the one that, and I will say this, um, people say my eczema, my eczema. And I'm like, no, no, no tell me about your eczema because your eczema may show up different than mine. So I want to know the specific characteristics because that also, so like, for example, if you have a lot of itching, um, that's a red flag to me that there is a dysbiosis problem likely within the, within the GI tract. It could be, it could be H. pylori. Sometimes other symptoms will show up that will be helpful. Sometimes people have acid reflux and sometimes they don't. If you have really, really dry skin, um, Adding in some L-histidine, which is an amino acid, may be helpful. There was an interesting study that showed that um, a group of uh, participants took four grams of L-histidine every morning on an empty stomach. So they just like mixed it in some juice or water or whatever and drank it. And they found that over the course of the month, their skin really improved um, because filaggrin, I talked about that earlier, that's that protein that's almost like the mortar mix between the skin cells, that has a very high percentage of histidine in it. And so adding in extra histidine can be really helpful. Um, so itching, 
if you are really itchy and the itching gets worse at night, it is a, another red flag of number one, bugs that you need to deal with that are hiding under the surface. And number two, that there's pro if you are waking up in the middle of the night, usually that is a really big sign to me that there's a phase two liver detox problem and the liver's kicking on in the middle of the night because it's just overloaded. And so you wake up itching or clawing at your skin and don't know what to do about that. So one thing you can do if that's the case is try another amino acid called glycine. And it's really inexpensive. Um, and usually I'll tell people, just start with like three grams in the morning. If you find that you're still really itchy, try another three grams like later in the day. I wouldn't do it before bedtime, but maybe like five o'clock or six o'clock, some something around there to help feed, especially the glycine pathway. It requires glycine in order to operate and detoxify. Um, and then you can try molybdenum. It's a not very well-known micronutrient that sometimes can be helpful in alleviating some itchiness as well. Um, if it's more like uh, histamine related, so you seem to be itchy and like you have more allergy stuff, you can try um, like quercetin and nettles can be very, very helpful. There's different uh, supplements that can be helpful around that. You can also get nettle tea. Um, and quercetin is just a powder. It's a, a supplemental powder that you can, you can purchase. Um, those would be some of my go-to options, I would say. Um, and as far as like a, a skin oil to try, I would say try single oils as opposed to formulas, especially if you seem to be reactive to a lot of things. So, you know, all right, jojoba works for me or jojoba doesn't. So mm -hmm. jojoba is most like our, our, the sebum of the skin. Um, it's actually a wax. It's not really like a, like an oil per se. It's considered a wax. Um, some people find avocado oil to be really helpful. Some people are, it's hit or miss with olive oil. Some people find it irritating. Other people don't. There's some great research around sunflower seed oil, but I will say this for anyone. I, uh, please don't go to the cooking section. I, I would try and stick with like the ones marked for body care. I don't know if there is a difference or not. But I would imagine the way that we process things may be mm -hmm. different. So I'm not entirely sure that I would want to put like avocado oil meant for a pan on my skin. I probably want to look for something that was for my body, but that's just me. Um, but that was, those would probably be some, some good options that I would initially start with. But I do try to also manage people's expectations that sometimes you might have to use the medication that your doctor gave you for a little while while we figure things out because it's not... Like the, nat the alternative natural way is not a super highway. If you want that, go do steroid creams, go do your Zyrtec, go do your Allegra, go do your biologics. If you want to feel better in a very short period of time or at least have a high likelihood, then that's probably going to be what's going to suit you. So if your expectations are that, do not expect herbs and minerals and supplements to do that for you. This is the scenic route. This is figuring out what's wrong and it takes time. I mean, I've had some clients where they're, unfortunately their gut work took five, six months because it was just such a mess. So you have to set expectations up front about what to expect. Some things natural will help and others just will not, or they're going to be minimal. And frankly, to me, I would rather prioritize sleep, prioritize some other things, get people more comfortable that way. Like if you sleep, you're going to feel better the next day. Um, so just, I just like to help frame the conversation so that 
people don't get the wrong impression that there's all this stuff that you can do that's natural, that's going to fix you right away. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a process. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point. Cause sometimes when you start talking about like, okay, well, what can I do right now to feel better? It's like, well, okay, yes, you can use some of these amino acids and hopefully you would feel some relief. But at the end of the day, yes. What are you eating? How are you sleeping? What are your stress levels? Are you meditating? Are you out in the sun? Are you drinking water? Like all of these really important factors do play a role, but it was really interesting. I just, I didn't know about glycine. Like, I think that's really interesting. That's, you know, something that I can definitely put in my back pocket in my toolkit. Mm -hmm. Um, And little things like that can kind of almost be like a game changer for some people. I mean, you just never know, right? Yeah. And like glycine, for example, if you do the glycine, it might take three weeks before you start to notice a difference. That's why I say like framing the conversation and setting your expectations is really important Mm -hmm. because we live in that. I took Tylenol. I no longer have a headache culture. And if people don't realize that it's going to take time and they're doing all, let's just say you are doing legit all the things. You have a really clean diet. You got rid of all your cleaning products. You're out in the sun. You're doing your red light therapy. (laughs) You know, like you're in your sauna. You're doing everything and you're still really miserable. That's where I just have to level with a person. Like, what can I do right now? And I'm like, unfortunately, it's going to take time. And you have to have that patience because I cannot provide you something that like the relief of say the steroid cream, nothing's going to compete with that. And yeah, there are down, there are some serious downsides to steroid creams, but you know, like I'll be honest, I had to use steroid cream as I was going through the journey. I used it as sparingly as possible. And obviously you have to discuss all these options with your doctor because that's important. Everybody's different, but, um, one thing you can try. Thought of something. This will be a good thing. So you can take probiotics and you can apply that to the skin. You could try it and see if it might help things. Some people have found it to be helpful where they'll like apply some jojoba oil, for example, open up a probiotic. Um, I've had some good luck with megasporbiotic doing this. Um, You apply like a light coating of it and then just let it sit. Um, And some people have found that to be really helpful. But um, that's another like easy home. But again, not fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not fast. It's going to take time. Um, so you just, again, you have to have patience, especially if you're super miserable and you have a lot of symptoms, a large constellation of symptoms that are causing you issues just beyond like, oh, I have a rash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a you'll feel better tomorrow thing. It's mm-hmm. a let's see how you are in four weeks and go from there. So But that's interesting about the probiotic because, I mean, uh, probiotics are amazing. I mean, they're great suppositories. Obviously, you take them for internal support. You can actually open them up and switch with them if you have anything going on orally that you're concerned about. So that's pretty cool to hear that you can open them up and put them on your skin. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned that. I learned that from Karan Krishnan, um, and then I've talked with a bunch of other people about it. And and that is, I mean, there's a lot more probiotic solutions out there. Um, there is one thing you can buy. I'm not associated with the company. It's called um, Indigo Calm Balm, and it's from a company. I think it's probiotic skin. It might be like skin-probiotics.net or skinprobiotics.net, but 
Um, the woman actually makes this formula that has probiotics in it. It has a lot of herbs. You know, there are some herbs in it. So you have to be careful if you have an allergy to things. And she can make it with or without oats. So for people that like are sensitive to oats or say have an allergy to them, she can make it without. And, and some clients have actually noted that that really helps them, especially wean off of the reliance on steroid creams. So that could be a potential option for people as well. If you believe that you have like staph type issues, um, there's another product, not super clean, but it can be really helpful. It's called Glad Skin. And that is, seems to be, they've shown some really great um, improvements in like reducing staph on the skin if that, that is one of the problems you have. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah, I've I've heard of the Glad Skin one, but I've never heard of the the other one, the Rare the Indigo Indigo yeah. Calm Balm. Yeah. Yeah. So super cool. I this is this is great. I feel like this is really helpful information for especially our listeners that are like, man, what are some good good trips or tips <laughs> that Jennifer knows? Um, so this is awesome stuff. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I love sharing. You know, like I said, I was in that boat. I saw these pictures of like babies crying. I don't have kids, but like there's nothing that's going to kill you more than seeing a baby like, ah, and the skin is like, oh, and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's yeah. so unfair. And I was like, I can't do this. Is I can't leave these, I can't leave everybody else behind. I need to, I need to share. And I just kept digging and digging and digging. And I, like I said, I started my website, Skin Interrupt, and then I started the Healthy Skin Show. And so I interview tons of guests on all different topics related to skin, chronic skin problems, and just want to keep sharing that information to help people find answers because it's beyond what they're able to really tell you at a dermatologist's office, unless that dermatologist happens to be super open-minded. And um, anything that I can do to help I, I just think in this day and age, we should have better options. I don't, I don't know why we do. It might be because there's a lot of money to be made in biologics and such, but um, I think people deserve better. So mm -hmm. trying well, to connect them with those answers. Yes. And we need more people like you. So thanks for doing what you're doing for sure. Um, so Jen, tell our listeners where they can find you. You have your fabulous podcast, The Healthy Skin Show. Yes, the and Healthy Skin Show and then Skin Interrupt. So it's a mashup of skin and interrupt. <laughs> so skinterrupt.com. Um, and so I have a lot of great resources there. And, um, and then Instagram. I do a lot of stuff on Instagram and it's at Jennifer Fugo. That's how you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I know I learned so much and I know that our listeners will as well. I appreciate it. And I wish everyone luck who is going through this. And if you know somebody that's really struggling, please share these resources with them because anything that they could find could be like literally life-changing. Mm -hmm. So, um, but thank you guys so much for helping me also spread this information. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jen.